it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1 866 408 Happy to be with you in 2023. So glad you're here. Scott Mann will be joining us shortly. Lieutenant Colonel uh, was the conducted and coordinated task force Pineapple, author of the same book, Operation Pineapple Express, what he did to get uh, troops out of Afghanistan. And by the way, uh, Project Dynamo just got a Texas family out of Afghanistan. How despicable it is that our president left so many American and our allies behind. I will also talk about that terrorist attack that happened at Times Square in New York City because we knew this 19-year-old was radicalized. His family told us still the FBI couldn't stop him from using his machete on New Year's Eve. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We were notified yesterday that the governor of Colorado is now stating that they are going to be sending migrants to places like New York and Chicago. Uh, This is just unfair. Mayor Eric Adams speaking with Sid Rosenberg. Biden's broken border. The New York City mayor complaining about the Democratic Democratic, uh, Colorado governor. Uh, dumping more illegals in our shelters. Mr. Mayor, sorry, but unless you take on sanctuary city status in New York City and your buddy, President Biden, the White House, we are doomed to this fate. Number two. So I can't speak specifically on his medical condition. I will say is um, now he's sedated. So, um, you know, the family's in good spirits. We're honestly just taking it minute by minute, hour by hour. Uh, That is Jordan Rooney. Uh, He's the marketing representative for the family. Hamlin holding on. The 24-year-old defensive back is making progress, but still not out of the woods. As he recovers, the NFL still has made it clear, has not made it clear how the game goes forward and if the game versus Cincinnati will ever be played. Number one. Now, the fact that this race has not been settled by now is being described as embarrassing. And it is embarrassing if you prefer the Soviet-style consensus of the Democratic Party's internal elections, where votes are merely a formality and all the really big decisions are made years in advance by donors. But if you prefer democracy to oligarchy, if you prefer real debates about issues that actually matter, it's pretty refreshing to see it. Yes, it's a little chaotic, but this is what it's supposed to be. Well, okay, uh, that's Tucker's view, and it's a solid one, not mine. How does this end? Three consecutive votes have Republicans unable to elect a speaker to the astonishment of many. Okay, all, as Kevin, except Tucker, as Kevin McCarthy is 19 votes shy of getting the gavel. Let's be clear. This is not helping anyone. I don't really think it's helping Democrats. So, and we'll discuss that. There's so much to go to. So today at 12, there'll be another fourth round of voting. The only thing that changed in three rounds is the Kevin McCarthy lost another vote. And it was Byron Donald's photo for Jim Jordan. Just a handful of people did. I mean, basically, this thing went off the rails when they had a meeting prior to the vote, at which time Kevin McCarthy says, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I've earned this. Vote for me. Get in line. I've listened. I've tried to make accommodations. I'm done. Then Mike Rogers stood up and warned anyone who voted against McCarthy they'd lose their committee seats. And that infuriated everybody that was going to vote against him, kind of dug them in. And if you're in a Chip Roy, who came to start out cursing right back, and he didn't budge, he's doing interviews and just saying, I'm not budging. Lauren Boebert's another. Matt Gates is another. And for the most part, you have most of the party, almost all of the party, 
voting for Kevin McCarthy, except for 19, out of over 200. So the question is, should you bow to the masses? Or is this just a symptom of just such a narrow majority? You don't have a choice. I think it's personal. Because Steve Scalise would be the next guy up. Or Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan hasn't made any guarantees. He hasn't given anyone any committee assignments. Steve Scalise hasn't said, I'm going to agree to anything. He hasn't been in any negotiations for him. So why would you just, you just want not to be McCarthy. But I think for the most part, even though McCarthy's ambitious, he wanted to get this done. For the most part, he's been pretty selfless in trying to put candidates in place that are going to be successful in funding the ones that he can with the money that he's raised. In a very difficult time when he was in the minority after Paul Ryan said, don't really want to be speaker, but I'll finish out the term. Here's Chip Roy, cut four. And this morning, a group of folks threatened some of us, and they lost votes on that. We're not going to back down until we get in a room and we decide how we're going to be able to stand up and fight for the American people, no matter who the speaker is. Uh, Congressman, you just used the word threatened there in the, in the House uh, GOP conference meeting this morning. Uh, can you tell us what happened? Well, it's been public information out there that Mike Rogers threatened to say he's going to kick those of us off of any committees who dared to challenge the uh, coronation of the speaker. And the reality is that was a threat and it was not received well by a lot of people in the room. And uh, Mike Rogers is emblematic of the problem. He is precisely why we end up with bills like the $1.7 trillion monstrosity that was destroying our freedom, funding bureaucrats, and, and, and frankly, actually had specific language in it not allowing us to secure the border. Now, Mike didn't vote for it because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the House was trying to make sure we got votes for Kevin. Okay. So what he did point out at the end is the most significant. Kevin McCarthy made it clear the omnibus bill that, that Chip Roy is referring to was not going to be signed by any Republican House member. He said, why would I ever agree to that? Do a continuing resolution. Let me become speaker and let's negotiate a budget that'll be uh, going forward. How are we going to spend after all, the American people gave the majority two of the in the House, slim one at that, to Republicans. Why wouldn't they have a say? So how can you fault him for the $1.7 trillion omnibus bill? Are you trying to say that if he already had the Speaker's job, he would have done it? I don't think so. You know, if your problems with Mitch McConnell, I understand it. You're saying that he's been there for so long he's part of the swamp, but please indicate to me what choices he's had. If you've been uh, up against him on certain votes, let's hear about it. But instead, we hear demands agreeing to let five lawmakers oust him. He agreed to that. Did not care. He wanted to, uh, the Freedom Caucus said, I want to guarantee committee slots. Kevin McCarthy says, I can't do that. He said, I want you to set up, they told Kevin McCarthy, I want you to set up a separate legal uh, entity, a so-called select committee to investigate the FBI and other law enforcement agencies. He said, no, we, we already have a select committee. We already have an investigative authority. Why would I take the power away from people like Kevin McCarthy and others? Why would I do that? So he didn't agree to it. Then Congressman Norman says, well, nine months from now, we're going to have to raise the debt ceiling. Will the president, will the, will the speaker sign off on that? I don't know. But he wants to guarantee he won't sign off on that. In what circumstance? In, in exchange for what? Congressman Norman wouldn't be speaker. So what's the problem? Here's Michael Waltz. Uh, Michael Waltz is, is flabbergasted. Green Bray, National Guardsman, former chief of staff. For Dick Cheney, he knows government, he knows war. Cut 10. The irony here is the other person that people are voting for in the race, Jim Jordan, also supports Kevin McCarthy. President Trump supports Kevin McCarthy. Conservatives 
and moderates, which we also have to have many moderates who just won Biden districts, also support them. Uh, and as Aisha just said, we can't get to our agenda, the reason we are elected into a majority on China, on big tech, on border. Heck, tonight we were supposed to vote to rescind funding for the 87,000 IRS agents, but we can't get to that because we have a group that's pushing for someone who doesn't want the job. And that's Jim Jordan. Says, I don't want the job. That's it. Uh, but this time he means it. He was not taking it. He's not ready for it. He doesn't want to be, uh, he doesn't want to do that with the Democratic president. Plus, he wants to do oversight. He's great at that. There have been 14 instances of speaker elections requiring multiple ballots. Uh, the records for the second in Congress, 1791 to 1793. Uh, also, 13 of the 14 multiple ballot elections occurred before the Civil War. That's how rare this is. I'm into rare. But to me, it is like being in the locker room preseason, getting set for week one, and voting on your captain. And all of a sudden, finding out, the door flings open, and you find out there's a huge fight about who's going to be captain of the team. And you think to yourself, while you debate on who's captain, what are the chances of you actually winning a game? If you can't decide who your leader is, and it gets this bad, this ugly, this personal, what chance do you have of governing effectively, and how does that play off? In 2024, the president of the United States says he made some calls yesterday, the former president, Donald Trump, and he made some calls yesterday. He thinks that Kevin's going to get the job, do a good job. He says he might even do a great job. So Pete, like P. Sessions, another veteran congressman supporting McCarthy, not as optimistic. He said, I voted for McCarthy, says the struggle so far has cost them prestige, including Kevin. He says it's hard for Kevin to get a victory as his opponents seem very dug in. You know what Matt Gates did? He called on the clerk to kick Kevin McCarthy out of the speaker's office saying that he's squatting. This is not AOC. This is not a member of the squad. This is a conservative Republican. Idiotic. When we come back, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, then Brett Baer will go more into the politics of it. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. So glad you're here. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. 
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. I don't know if you've heard, but on Times Square, it's probably the most popular place in the world to be on midnight. Uh, when everyone gathers around, security is extremely high. Well, it was the site of a terror attack, and not many people are talking about it, but this 19-year-old radicalized Islamic extremist who wants to destroy America was called by his family. The FBI called, uh, the family called the FBI and said, listen, we're worried about our son. Uh, this guy is out of control, and we're not sure what he's capable of doing. Next thing you know, he's in a machete on 52nd Street and uh, 8th Avenue, and he's swinging at three cops, two of which he hit in the head and sent to the hospital for four days. What is going on here, and should we be on the lookout for this, or is it just, just a lone wolf? Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann does need to get an exercise uh, in terror training. He spent his life fighting it. Uh, Colonel, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Happy New Year, man. Uh, same to you. And uh, by the way, author of the best-selling book, Operation Pineapple Express, the incredible story of a group of Americans who undertook one last mission and honored a promise in Afghanistan. Colonel, when you heard this news, what were your thoughts? Well, you know, it was interesting, Brian. When I heard this news, I had just completed an interview, and I think I sent it to you, with Ahmed Massoud, the leader of the National Resistance Front, in Afghanistan. He was the son of Ahmed Shah Massoud, the Northern Alliance leader who was killed by bin Laden just two days before 9-11-2001. And what Massoud was telling me in the interview from Afghanistan, Brian, is that there are 27 active violent extremist groups, including ISIS and al-Qaeda in Afghanistan right now, and that levels of concern are even exceeding pre-9-11 in terms of threat to the West and even the U.S. So, So frankly, not surprised. This was an inspired attack, but I don't think we should be surprised at all if we see an uptick in violent extremist attacks against the West and the homeland in the coming months and, and years. And you saw with the uh, air marshals who have been forced to go to the border and work the border and just process people, they say, you really want us here? Because we're getting additional reports that these terror groups are looking to attack aircraft again. Right. And, you know, even we had Congressman Waltz on this call as well. And, and, and he said that, you know, in the intelligence community, the dashboards are blinking red right now um, in terms of, of threat levels. And it's just it's, it's astounding to me, Brian, that, you know, we walked away from a country that we were in for 20 years where the worst attack in American history emanated from. We built an intelligence capability. We built a partner force. We bled for it. Some of our people died for it. And then we just handed over billions of dollars of gear and an unfettered sanctuary for some of the most radical groups in the world to train, prepare, plan, and project. And what gets me, man, is how can we – we may be done with the war on terror, but I can assure you it's not done with us. And this silence that we're seeing right now is is pretty ominous. It is. And the other thing to keep in mind, too, is – uh, what's happening in Afghanistan right now is they're gradually taking everything away that they pledged not to. Do you remember the whole Taliban right. 2.0? Women are going to have right. some rights and go to university. Now they can't even work in NGOs over there. So we're going to begin to cut off aid, which is going to have you know the downside of that is a lot of innocent people starve to death. 
Well, that's right. And when you talk about aid, the, the, the humanitarian supposed aid is in the tune of $40 million a week that is going right to the Taliban, right, with no oversight. I mean, where do you think that money is going? To an organization that is heavily influenced by the Haqqani uh, network. I mean, it, the levels of audacity in how we are handling this, I mean, it, it's possible that we're even funding inadvertently. Uh, potential terror attacks against the homeland. And we know for a fact that just by giving this money directly to the Taliban, and, uh, and, I, and I realize that the, 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 the seriousness of that statement, but, but I mean, when you think about it, the fact that these terrorists, Brian, are training in the open in former Afghan army compounds in Helmand and Kandahar, uh, and then you've got this kind of aid money going to the Taliban, um, I, don't, I think anything's possible. Talking to Scott Mann, uh, best-selling author, lieutenant colonel uh, in the uh, military. So, Colonel, in particular, we're looking at Saudi Arabia having an alliance with China. For the longest time, if you put a Quran next to the garbage or it dropped on the floor or wasn't placed in the right hands or was damaged, there was an international incident because it's an insult to Islamic religion. You have Saudi Arabia, where Medina and Mecca are located, meeting with the Chinese leader, kissing his hand. Right. while they torture Muslims, these Uyghur Muslims, in concentration camps in their country. What does that tell you about the sincerity of the Islamic, uh, the Islamic religion when it, comes to these, uh, when it comes to these groups? Well, I think you almost have to set aside the, the, the aspects of Islam in this case, where I think what you see are leaders of a nation state Doing what's in, in what they believe is their best interest, and then and then mobilizing the religion to seek you know to suit their needs. Um, I, I think that you know look at the Wahhabism that that is exported to the borders of Afghanistan, Pakistan by Saudi Arabia. Look at the number of hijackers that were you know in the the pack that, that hit the United States. Uh, it, it's it's unprecedented, and I think for us to think that there is a level of sincerity at that senior level is, you know, is diluted. Um, but what, what really bothers me, Brian, is it seems like we've just taken our eye off the ball uh, when it comes to violent extremism. We decided, you know what, the, the real threat is these near-peer states like Russia and China, and I'm not minimizing that, but the enemy has a vote. And right now, some of the most dangerous violent extremist groups in the world are mobilizing, training, preparing in Afghanistan, and and we are pretending like it, it's not happening. And so, the one thing they like to do is outdo the other. Uh, and that probably is what worries me more than anything else. Is I, what are they going to try to do to outdo 9-11? And we know the Iranians are not shy about doing any of this, uh, housing al-Qaeda when they need to, even though they're Sunni. And China, yes. at the same time, put death threats on uh, Pompeo and Bolton and others uh, because right. they're taking out Soleimani. And now with those, these talks broken off, all bets are off, Correct. Yeah, I think so. And I think that we really have to be realistic when we look at the relationships that will emanate from both nation states and non-nation states from violent extremist groups and, and also nation states that harbor violent extremist groups. Look, I mean, the one thing that is the common denominator in all of this is their disdain for the United States and the West. And to just turn a blind eye to that, to dismiss violent extremism as no longer a threat. And I think it's actually the reason that you don't hear much bringing it back full circle to this young man that attacked the police in New York City. You don't hear it talked about as an inspired uh, violent extremist attack. You hear it talked about as a crime is because I believe the administration and politicians on both sides of the aisle want to play down 
the threat of violent extremism. But, you know, the thing about that is no one will care about it until they do. And I wonder what it is that's going to make them care about it. I'm not really sure. Maybe, sadly, it's going to have to be an attack. But this 19-year-old was uh, picked out by his own family. The FBI put him on a a watch list, but it wasn't good enough to stop him list, even though it was not – even though what was he doing in New Year's Eve in New York City by himself? Exactly. And, and so what I would keep an eye on, and I think it's, it's, it's important for all Americans to think about this, is that, that, again, we may be done with the war on terror, but I don't believe it's done with us. There's an unfettered safe haven in Afghanistan that is allowing both ISIS and al-Qaeda to plan, prepare, and project. Right. I think we're going to see Scott, an uptick in inspired attacks and planned attacks. Scott, when do, where do we get you Masood interview? Uh, I'll, I'll shoot you the link as soon as we're done. All right, good. And I'll put that up on our social media uh, Lieutenant Colonel awesome. Scott Mann, thanks so much. Brett Bear next. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So at this point... It seems to just be pure obstructionism. And what's so frustrating is the goalpost seems to keep moving. Uh, We all asked this morning as a conference some of those individuals, what will it take to get to 218 so we can move forward with the agenda that the voters elected us to move forward with and stop Biden's agenda? And there was no answer. If they come back. And that's what's frustrating. And that's Congressman Michael Wall, too is open. He's probably somebody that could broker a deal on both sides. He has friends on both sides of this issue, but we're talking solid Republicans picking a speaker. I think it's get, more and more it looks like it's just personal. We don't want Kevin McCarthy. That's the problem. Brett Baer joins us now. We always want him, chief political anchor of Fox News, anchor special report. Uh, his book has that on paperback, To Rescue the Republic, uh, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile, Fragile Union, and The Crisis of 1876. Brett, uh, I was watching yesterday almost exasperated with Laura Boebert because their, their demands are so vague, and the impact of what they're doing is so pronounced. Yeah, uh, morning, Brian. I think it's um, the, the goalposts have moved in those negotiations as well. It's important to point out. Um, and some of the things that they're talking about, um, they've changed. So you're right. I think it does come down to Kevin McCarthy. Now, on the flip side, McCarthy and his allies say he's in for the long haul. He believes uh, it's his time uh, and he's standing strong and he's going to continue to go. The problem is, is that for the party, the more times these ballots come and either it stays the same or goes the other way by a vote or two, um, it, it just diminishes the, the power, the uh, impact, and it really hurts in the long run. Now you have a statement from the former president saying you should vote for McCarthy. He's going to be good. He could be great. You know, like <laughs> he's, he's the one that we should choose. And I don't know if that's going to move the needle or not. From what I hear on Capitol Hill, probably not. So we're in a stalemate right now um, that they're probably going to have a few more days of balance. So it looks like overnight we saw the pizza boxes arrive. looks like overnight uh, Kevin McCarthy sent out Patrick Henry, Garrett Graves, Brian Fitzpatrick, French Hill, uh, uh, among the people that went out to visit the 20-person group and find out what they need and see if something could be worked out. No deal was reached. Do you know anything about this? And if any progress was made, do you think we would have heard it 
in 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 all circles by now. Yeah, I do, and I I think that there is the sense that this small group is saying we don't want McCarthy. Figure out a different way, and they're going to hold their their ground. At least I, I don't think Byron uh, Donaldson from Florida. I think he was making a statement that they need to stop doing the ballots because um, it's looking bad and they need to negotiate behind the scenes before they come back in. Um, but the 19, I think, are, are pretty firm, at least uh, all that I can see. And uh, how do you move that? I don't know at this point. I do know that there's a lot of shooting within the tent and there's a lot of stuff that's being thrown around now. And I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing leaks about something Kevin McCarthy did or didn't do um, in recent years. Yeah, it seems personal. I just got texted by a former congressman who said it's because it's going to be quite obvious that they have a problem with Kevin McCarthy because they're going to go to Steve Scalise, who really stands for and is a part of the same leadership council uh, for the most part for the same amount of years. Here's Congressman Chip Roy of Texas. Cut three. Does anybody think that this institution is working? With all due respect to Kevin, he's been in leadership since 2009. Let me be clear. The debt was $11 trillion then. It's $32 trillion now. This isn't about Kevin, right? This is about all of the assertions being made by Kevin's camp. And look, at the end of the day right now, the conversation we're having is, will we change the rules committee so that we stop doing what we are doing? Like, you're talking about having a Democrat versus a Republican. Explain to me how what we've been doing is working. So I, I was a little flabbergasted by that because I'm thinking to myself, what, you're talking about years in which he was in power, minority leader, upset about the omnibus that passed that Kevin McCarthy says I'm not going to vote for? So they've had one-on-one, big conversations, small conversations, and now this thing just erupts. They just want him out, it seems. Yeah, they really do. And listen, it's going to be this numbers game, and I think that the way that it changes is if some group votes present. Uh, Now, whether that is some of those 20 um, and they make their stance and say, we don't want McCarthy, but they vote president instead of voting for somebody else. The, the trouble is you've got to be logistically accurate here. If, if six of them vote president, or I'm sorry, if 15 of them vote president uh, of the 19, you know, you're on the edge of electing Hakeem Jeffries. Speaker of the House. You know, I mean, you got you got to be strategic here. in if you're going to change the the game, Democrats also have power here. They could say we're not going to we will give McCarthy the go, the nod, or we will get behind somebody else and change the dynamic. I mean, they have been lockstep at two twelve, so it's really a numbers game. I mean, it's not like it's you know, it's not like it's a hundred a hundred. I mean, this is there's no one close. And I guess it could, if he steps aside, we'll, we'll find out if anyone is happy about that. But what about the fact that Matt Gates was actually fired a grievance that, the pre, that Kevin McCarthy is squatting in the Speaker's office? He has no business there. Doesn't that show you how petty this is? Yeah, it really. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, he was the minority leader. He moves his stuff into the Speaker's office. I don't know. Maybe it's presumptive. Uh, and I think it's it's just you know, part of the pitch that they're saying they don't want this guy. I think 
you know, uh, Matt Gates is obviously one of the ones leading this, uh, and I had Lauren Boebert on, and trying to talk through it, like, can you get to yes? It just doesn't seem like they can. I mean, no matter what they're going with. And they want to lead with, we wanted a bill about Texas border security, and we wanted a bill about uh, term limits. Uh, These are all things that can be negotiated. What can't be negotiated is a no-confidence vote, vacating the speaker uh, with one congressperson standing up. I mean, that is untenable. Well, Brian Donalds told me this morning, what's the big deal? It's always been like that. I don't. Well, first of all, Pelosi didn't have it like that because she knew the squad at any moment could stand up and say no more Pelosi. Um, So I I think it it could be untenable anyway because of the majority, the the slim majority. Uh, Think about the power that this group has. If they have this power now, imagine a controversial piece of legislation um, that Republicans want to get on the board for election purposes. Uh, for the good of the country, they'll argue, one side will, and this group will say no, and it'll be, you know, locked down. So so uh, here's a little of your exchange with Lauren Boebert, uh, and the fact is that she can't get her head around the fact that Jim Jordan does not want to be speaker. Cut eight. Yeah. I am voting for um, anyone who actually brings unity to the Republican Party and helps get our country back on track. And we who is have that? to actually govern on the things that we've campaigned. Well, right now our candidate is Jim Jordan. This is he is a fighter. He is a leader. Um, he may not want it right now, but George Washington did not want to be president. He did what was right for his country. So, do you think and Jim Jordan time- is the consensus candidate? Right now, he absolutely is. And every time that he speaks up um, to defend Kevin McCarthy, he actually just reaffirms why he would make a great speaker. And if you heard from him that he does not want it in any way, shape, or form, what do you say? Uh, I have heard that from him. And uh, if we have the numbers, then sorry, Jim Jordan, we're going to make you do what's right for the country. We love you. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) This is insane. Sorry, Jim Jordan, you have no say in this. I'm right. Sorry. And who endorsed Kevin McCarthy? <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, we'll find out if progress was made, but just to see him sit there and not one move happen, except Byron Donald's dead side that voted for Jim Jordan. I do have a report uh, that I cannot give the name on that says they're prepared to tell the 20 that we're going to go, we're going to uh, try to go across the aisle and work something out uh, and give something to the Democrats in order to place Kevin McCarthy in power. If that happens, judging by how bad it went when they threatened them a day ago in the morning and Chip Roy ends up cursing out Mike Rogers, do you think that might scare Republicans into getting on board? Either that or it makes them mad and the number goes from 20 to 30. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's a double-edged sword. It really is. It's You know, you start saying – it's real easy for somebody to throw a bomb and say, see, we told you uh, McCarthy is going to work with the Democrats and, and try to undercut Republican pri- priorities. I mean, it's a simple soundbite. But I think um, I, I think it could come to that. Democrats have a lot of control here. I mean, they have a unified 212 votes. And uh, there are no McCarthy fans either, we should point out. You know, they would be much happier with a uh, consensus moderate and where they could get some some leeway. And uh, I think, 
you know, I don't think it's coming to that. I think that we're probably a few ballots away from McCarthy figuring out how to do this math. Uh, but right now it's a standoff. So I just I know it just is conjecture, but I was surprised to see vote right after vote right after vote yesterday. So and then there was a poll. We're done for the day. And I'm thinking to myself, why not take a break between votes and see if you can get something done Next thing you know, a different person stands up and a different endorsement happens. And then the other side gets up and they say something that doesn't help. And then they vote again. And it's the same vote. So when we have the first vote at noon, do you expect three in a row again if they don't get to the 218? I I don't think so. I mean, Nancy Pelosi said after yesterday, she talked to a reporter and said, um, listen, I would not have done the vote if I didn't have the vote. And, you know, that is how she operated um, and they had to do the original vote, uh, but the subsequent votes, um, you know, you can negotiate for time and have somebody stand up and say, well, let's be in recess and figure out where and do your own, own internal whip count. I, I think if it doesn't move mm-hmm. on the first ballot, they're going to have to think about something else. Um, because as opposed to hundreds of years, 100 years ago or 1856 <laughs> when they did 133 ballots, uh, there's constant coverage of this. And it looks bad. And Republicans are getting PO'd at home. I just went to the polls. I just elected these Republicans. And now this is what they're doing. Um, it's getting, you know, you're frustrating people. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a frustrating Republican story that doesn't involve Donald Trump. I haven't been able to say that too often. Uh, (laughs) Although he's he's now in the mix. And listen to this, you know, if they take the vote after the statement from the former president this morning and the number doesn't change or it goes up against McCarthy, that's also not a good look for the former president. Uh, That's true. In fact, here is uh, what the president sent out. Some really great conversations took place last night. It's time to close our great Republican House members to vote for Kevin. Close the deal. Take the victory. Watch Crazy Nancy fly back home to a very broken California. The only speaker in U.S. history to have lost the House twice. Republicans do not turn a great triumph into a giant embarrassing defeat. It's time to celebrate. You deserve it. Kevin McCarthy will do a good job and maybe a great job. Just watch. So we'll see if the president was cajoling. We know he called Kevin McCarthy yesterday. We don't know who else he called. But Matt Gates would be a start. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think he realizes that Nancy Pelosi is still going to be in Congress. She's not going home to California. Um, she's still a, a member of Congress. And uh, and then, you know, yes, that is significant for McCarthy, for the Trump people. But is it enough to move any of the 19? I haven't heard anything that, that it was. All right. Uh, well, actually, see, on a side note, it looks like Trump could get back on Facebook in the next month. We'll see if he takes that opportunity because without Facebook, he probably doesn't win in 2016. Uh, listen, Brett Baer, always great. Today's going to be exciting. Also unprecedented. I know in a way you live for this. Uh, do. He doesn't have to wait for a special report to be special. Uh, Brett, thanks so much. We'll watch you all day. All right. We'll see you. You got it. So we'll provide some instant analysis on that. When we come back, uh, the latest on the story that People have been watching around the country and around the, girl, and around the globe, DeMar Hamlin and his battle, uh, his battle for his health and to uh, break him uh, self free of incubation as well as the medical-induced coma. Uh, DeMar Hamilton, well, uh, that latest on his condition when we come back. Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade.
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. So far, I'm impressing you, but not as much as I'm about to. Decriminalizing jaywalking is racist uh, because too many black people are pulled over and fined by racist cops, which is just a despicable thought. Prostitute (laughs) remains a crime because they want to get this. They want to remove the social stigma around sex work. Yes. Who told you? Since when is there a stigma around sex work? I don't know when that happened. (laughs) I did not think that was what you were going to say. And state state control of the best... I oh, had no idea hold. you were pro-ho. Uh, <laughs> pro-ho! Uh, it's awesome. Yeah. I'm o- I just say I'm open. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're so, open for business. I, I, but, and this is why we want to launch his presidential bid. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like this. It's crazy. I wouldn't have even reviewed the topics if I had known Brian was going to read all of them. <laughs> <laughs> We got to move on. That was uh, that was impressive. I might uh, actually uh, compliment you later. In the I know break. that's going to be edited out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's all, all the time we have for Jamie. Uh, just, and we'll make it a really rough edit so people notice that we just cut it out. They see his head. That's it. And the audience would have been the only witnesses. Uh, that was uh, Gutfeld last night. I filled in for Tyrus. I dressed differently and had a different attitude. I'm predominantly a much smaller man. Uh, but it was at Gutfeld last night. Did you stay and watch, Allison? I, I, I watched this morning. But um, he gave you a few compliments throughout the show. Yeah, why was that? Did it make you uncomfortable? No, but he didn't see, you didn't see the beginning of the show. I did. No, scripted he did. in insults. Well, it was scripted in insults, but he also gave you a compliment. I forget what it was specifically. I did pull it. Um, or in the beginning. Like, I think the first segment he also gave you a compliment. Really? I, gotta, I have to. I'll find it for you. Uh, I, have to re- I have to revisit that in my mind. Uh, but Jamie is going to be on with us at some point on this show. Jamie Lissau, an outstanding comedian. Joe, he was telling me, and we'll review this in person. He's done the Tonight Show. He's done all these shows. He said, "Okay, you know, it does." You know, people say I might have seen you. He said, "Since he started doing Gutfeld in conversation, not going out there for four minutes and doing your stand-up." He says, "I think he said he did uh, Conan. He did the Tonight Show. Um, I'm not sure if he said, what others he said he did, but there's been no response like Gutfeld. He says he's uh, instantly selling out now." But it makes sense because you guys are having a conversation for an hour about topics and you see how funny he is, yeah. like just, you know, with his wit and just like quickly. I mean, that same thing why you shine on that show as well. I mean, you shine everywhere, clearly. But I mean, just seeing everyone have to go with the flow and like the funny little side comments. Right. Uh, in an unscripted situation. But, you know, we do get the topics. It's just amazing that Greg Gutfeld does a show in a time in which we have this record speaker race we know about. Uh, and we have the 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 perp walk for the FTX, uh, FTK uh, CEO, the Sam Bankman-Fried, what a disgrace he is. And then we got the killer, the 28-year-old uh, killer of the Idaho uh, students. And we're leading with short people really should get more respect. That's the Gutfeld show. But it's also what people are talking about as well. Well-rounded channel. So you're defending them. I am. I'm also short. <laughs> not, not Not to Eric. And and not to most people. You're tall in my eyes. Thanks, Brian. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in beautiful Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country. Heard around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by Rich Lowry, actually very soon. And one of the funniest comedians who p- plays all around New York City and all the major cities. Uh, Jamie Lissau, fresh off his appearance on Gut- Lissau, fresh off his appearance on Gutfeld last night. You'll know two things about Jamie. He's divorced and from Alaska. And everything else just builds on that. Uh, he also... Writes for Rob Schneider and other great comedians, and he writes for himself, and now he's as, uh, as hot as it gets out there. But he always has perspective on what's happening in the news. That's why I thought he was great to come on our show. Meanwhile, we're waiting about two hours away from the, pre- the, uh, from the another vote for the, to find out who the next speaker is. Also today, Mitch McConnell will appear, make a rare appearance on the road in Kentucky with the President of the United States, Democrat and Republican, to unveil the building of a bridge. That bipartisan infrastructure deal will yield a bridge from Kentucky to Ohio. Senator Portman helped do that, too. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We were notified yesterday that the governor of Colorado is now stating that they are going to be sending migrants to places like New York and Chicago. Uh, This is just unfair. Really? Just unfair? Biden's broken border. New York City's mayor complaining about the Democratic Colorado governor dumping illegals in our shelters here in New York. Mr. Mayor, sorry, but unless you take on the sanctuary city status and your buddy Biden in the White House cracks down on the border, we are doomed to this fate. Number two. So I can't speak specifically on his medical condition. I will say is um, now he's sedated. So, um, you know, the family's in good spirits. We're honestly just taking it minute by minute, hour by hour. Jordan Rooney, the marketing director for, uh, for we were talking about the Buffalo uh, Damon Halen, uh, Hamlin holding on. Damar Hamlin holding on right now. The 24-year-old defensive back is making progress but still not out of the woods. He's recovering right now as the NFL still has not made clear how the game between the Bengals and Bills goes forward and if the game is even going to happen because for the playoffs, it really needs to be played. Number one. Now, the fact that this race has not been settled by now is being described as embarrassing. And it is embarrassing if you prefer the Soviet-style consensus of the Democratic Party's internal elections, where votes are merely a formality and all the really big decisions are made years in advance by donors. But if you prefer democracy to oligarchy, if you prefer real debates about issues that actually matter, it's pretty refreshing to see it. Yes, it's a little chaotic, but this is what it's supposed to be. Well, that's interesting. Uh, Tucker Carlson with a different take. How does this end? Three consecutive votes have Republicans unable to elect a speaker to the astonishment of many. Okay, all except for Tucker, maybe, as Kevin McCarthy is 19 votes shy of getting the gavel. Let's be clear. This is not helping anyone, not even Democrats, I don't believe. Uh, Joining me right now to talk about this, who's seen just about it all in his career, the editor of Nash Review, uh, Rich Lowry. Hey, Rich. Hey, happy new year. Hey, Rich, is this anything short of embarrassing? I think it's pretty embarrassing. Uh, look, I take Tucker's point. I'm all, all in favor of, of open and, and robust debate, but this this is something different. I mean, this is a party in a semi-meltdown. I, I uh, know and respect some of the dissenters, especially Chip Roy, who I think is a very sincere guy and a, and a great leader, but it's, it's – uh, you know, they, they don't have a substantive – 
agenda that that they want that's any different than what Kevin McCarthy would do, and they don't have a different candidate. So for me, that would dictate well, just just do then what uh, five six of the conference wants, and and have Kevin McCarthy next speaker. Seems unlikely though to me that that's going to happen. And I, I know uh, McCarthy is speaking brave words now, but I, I would expect him to lose. Uh, altitude rather than gain it, and his position ultimately to become unsustainable and someone else to be speaker. That would be stunning because that means he's got to fail today with basically the same number. They over Overnight, there was about five different Kevin McCarthy supporters meeting with those who were against him, and uh, one of which informed me off the record that if they do not budge, they'll go to the Democrats before they give up on McCarthy. Do you see that happening? Ah, oh, man, that, that, well, one, I don't, I don't see any Democrats voting for Kevin McCarthy for Speaker. I mean, why would they? They don't agree with him on anything, and why would they bail out the, the opposition party that is in this, uh, this, this deadlock? And I think that would be intolerable to most, most Republicans. So I think, I think the, 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 the theory here, Kevin's theory was, you know, we have the first vote, and uh, yeah, I don't win, uh, but, you know, it's seven members, and everyone's really uh, upset at them for blocking everything, and then they, they begin to peel off, and the next ballot, you know, there are only six against me, and now, you know, I'm just two votes away, and, and then we bear down on two members, but, but it was 20, you know, and they're not embarrassed, and at the end of the day, most of them, it's not about any demand, they just don't want him to be speaker, so every vote that takes place where he's not speaker is a win for them. It's a good thing for them. It's not an embarrassment for them. It's not anything they regret. So I think he's just he's in a tough, tough fix. I don't think it's fair. You know, he had a huge hand in winning a Republican majority twice now. You know, the, the two times, you know, over the last uh, 10 years or so, Republicans have taken the majority. He, he, he's been, been the operator making it happen. He's a hard worker, but I, I think he's going to my guess, you know, I could be wrong uh, is that he'll end up just coming up short and, and he'll, he'll have to bow out for someone else. Well, it, it does seem to be personal because their demands are so vague. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the 20. They're yeah. so vague. It doesn't make much sense. I know threatening them the morning of got their ire up and Chip Roy started cursing back at Mike Rogers when Kevin McCarthy said, I'm not giving in anymore on anything. Just go out there and vote. They got angrier. So it didn't really work. Matt Gates seems to be relishing it as if he's a member of the squad. So the whole thing is, Rich, what is your objective if you're looking to buy a house and the other side just is giggling the whole time and mm-hmm. not entertaining your offer, you say, is this even worth continuing? Mm-hmm. But both sides seem very, to a degree, seem frustrated. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, at the end of the day, we, we could resurrect Henry Clay, and he could be Speaker of the House, and he would do nothing different. He would be able to achieve nothing different than anyone else. You know, uh, the difference between, uh, you know, you can make Marjorie Taylor Greene or Henry Clay Speaker of the House, and they both would do the same thing because they have a five-vote majority, so they can do a lot of oversight, and there are going to be, you know, one or two big spending fights. That's it. You know, then they can pass a bunch of show legislation that's going to go nowhere in the Senate. So the, the difference between McCarthy and someone else is basically zilch, you know, so – so th- this is a huge fight that's invested with all this emotion and symbolism. But at the end of the day, it's going to make zero difference to what happens on the ground and on the floor of the House. Well, and we've never seen this before. What do you find? Uh, so what do you find different about this process? Well, I mean, he, 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 Kevin went to the floor not having the votes, which is most people 
wouldn't have done and we hadn't seen before because he thought he could win this game of chicken. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he ultimately does win it. It just seems unlikely to me. And then usually when uh, these sort of situations, you, you have uh, a fraction of, of a conference opposing someone as leader. There's, there's a clear set of demands. You know, we want you to, to pass, uh, you know, Obamacare repeal or, 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 or we want uh, yeah. uh, s- subsidies for certain industries or whatever. And then you, you get it or not, and then everyone moves on. But this is this is more fundamental, and I, I think at the end of the day, the problem is, as I said, they don't want McCarthy to be speaker. So it doesn't matter if he caves more; that that he, he can't cave on that, you know, and still still be standing as a candidate. The only thing, Brian, maybe tactically, you would think is that maybe McCarthy shouldn't have, have made any concessions at the start, and then the day of the vote made all the concessions, you know. But again, I think that just the mindset of the dissenters is even that wouldn't have worked, and they just they just don't want him. Which is a little nuts because you think we would have got this story in August or September and they took a lot of his money and a lot of his hard work mm-hmm, and a lot mm-hmm. of his fundraising. And I didn't see a lot of personal animus where Boehner clearly had people that didn't want to accept him and he got fed up with them when he left. It was good riddance. Now I didn't even know he had this type of uh, relationship of that's been brewing while he was in the minority. But here's what I understand the demands are. First, they wanted the five lawmakers to – have the ability to oust him. He, they, he gave him that. He did not guarantee committee slots to the Freedom Caucus members that they wanted. The Freedom Caucus also said, we want a legal entity, so-called a select committee, just to investigate the FBI and other uh, intelligence apparatus. And they said, no, we already have something like that. Is that really a reason to embarrass your party that you didn't get these things? I wouldn't think so. Uh, I I would not think so. And I mean, J- James Comer, you know, is going to head head the oversight committee, uh, assuming the Congress uh, ever gets organized. Um, he, he seems pretty uh, determined to me to, to to pursue every angle they should pursue. So uh, I, I don't get it. And again, I think it just get, end of the day, they think Kevin McCarthy's been around too long. He's too comfortable in Washington, and they want someone else. It's just not clear who that someone else would be. You know, everyone talks about Scalise, but you know, will the, will the moderates accept? Scalise. So it wouldn't shock me if someone emerges that we haven't talked a lot about, you know, someone like Patrick McHenry or something. But just the usual gravity of a leadership race, you're the front runner and you don't get it. The the first vote, you you stall out, you lose altitude, you you end up being done. So just based on that experience, I would expect McCarthy to be done again. uh, I I don't know how it's going to play out. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's my guess. Here is Chip Roy. Cut three. Does anybody think that this institution is working? With all due respect to Kevin, he's been in leadership since 2009. Let me be clear, the debt was $11 trillion then, it's $32 trillion now. This isn't about Kevin, right? This is about all of the assertions being made by Kevin's camp. And look, at the end of the day right now, the conversation we're having is, will we change the rules committee so that we stop doing what we are doing? Like, you're talking about having a Democrat versus a Republican. Explain to me how what we've been doing is working. Really? Uh, I would say that's kind of a broad statement that you might say leading up to getting the majority, but you have the majority now and you just don't feel as he's the leader. How many times I interviewed Chip Roy? Not one time do you bring that up ahead of time. Mm Well, I mean, he's obviously he's very sincere about the debt, and, he, and he's right. You know, it's it's been growing, and no one's grappled with it. That's not particularly 
Kevin, you know, solely on Kevin McCarthy, right? I mean, there are a lot of other things going on. And again, you know, Chip could be speaker, and and uh, they're going to have a hard time doing much on spending because they they don't have the Senate and they don't have the White House, and you know, you could end up in a shutdown. But those those usually don't end well. So um, the, the 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 only answer is is having a better election in in 2024. It's not uh, making someone else speaker right now. I want you to hear what Trey Gowdy said because he was not holding back last night. Cut 16. You got a guy who's got 200 votes and the next leading vote getter for very good reasons doesn't want to be the Speaker of the House. And yet this kamikaze wing within the Republican Party knows better than 85% of the rest of the conference. Jimmy doesn't want the job for very good reasons. So I, I I don't know what happens. I will say this. Uh, they didn't want a secure border. That is not what the negotiation was over, Brett. It was about, it, it, the, there are a handful of people who want gavels and want things that they can't get based on merit and they can't get it based on intelligence, but they want it given to them by the Speaker of the House, and Kevin said no. So, I mean, he's exasperated, and he knows the inner workings, and he knows all these guys. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, you can, you can hear it in his voice. <laughs> And again, uh, for me, that would be dispositive. You know, uh, um, if I'm a member and I don't particularly like Kevin McCarthy, but we need to organize the House, we, we need to get going, we, we want a majority, and um, two, 202 of my colleagues uh, are, are, are good with McCarthy. I, me, I'll say, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll swallow my objections or, you know, I'll speak up in conference meetings, you know, or I'll hold press conferences, but I'm not going to do this. But they are doing this, and uh, it's, it's not uh, – I, I don't see them stopping. So real quick, is there something the House could do to get the president of the United States to address the border between the fentanyl, between the cities that are being overwhelmed in their shelters, the bus trips that are being dropped off – El Paso, a Democratic mayor, it's inflicting, it's, it's infiltrating his side. And here's Mayor Eric Adams with Sid Rosenberg, who does a, does a show in the morning, yep. number one show on 77 WABC, Cut 33. We were notified yesterday that the governor of Colorado is now stating that they are going to be sending migrants to places like New York and Chicago. Uh, this is just unfair uh, for local governments to have to take on this national obligation. We've done our job. Uh, there's no more room at the end. Uh, but we are compelled by local laws here that we must uh, provide shelter. Uh, provide shelter for them. He's got, he says he's got 30,000 here illegally, but he will not address the sanctuary city issue. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. has pushed for no cash bail, and he said how wrong it is. He's built a couple of ten cities and took them down. I'm not sure what's going on there, but is stuff like this? You've been you've seen so many political. You've seen so many different administrations. Is stuff like this getting through? You know, I, I would have said yes. I, I I thought yes. You know, over the last two years, this situation is unsustainable. But they didn't play, pay you know much of a price in the midterms, and I think they just think. Uh, it's illegitimate somehow to exclude bogus asylum seekers 
from the country. So they they uh, they, they might, if they, they could wave a wand, change some things at the border. But basically, they they want these people uh, to come in. They think it's only fair, you know. And I wasn't I hadn't heard that about yeah. Colorado. But Jared Polis, the governor out there, you know, he's not a hateful right winger. It's just these 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 states in the, the southwest and uh, are getting overwhelmed, you know. So wh- why do they have to take all the migrants? Why New York's a big city with huge resources, and as as you point out, you know, it's Sanctuary city. Why? Why shouldn't it do its share? And if you, and it's not as though you know th- these states are uprooting illegal immigrants who, who've been here for for ten years, you know, and and become embedded day laborers somewhere, you know, and raiding construction sites and taking them off to New York City. These are people who are coming in newly every single day. So stop the flow. I mean, that's that's the thing. That's what Eric Adams should be most angry about is what the Biden administration is doing, not what any of these governors are doing. And maybe if you had you know an open revolt among Democrats, then maybe you get some movement, but you're not going to have an open revolt among Democrats, and you're not going to see movement. Yeah. It's a shame. Sometimes you just think it's in the best interest of the country. Rich Lowry, thanks so much. Appreciate hey, thanks, it. Brian. Talk soon. Going to be an exciting day. Uh, back with your calls in just a moment. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Expanding your knowledge base. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. Let's go out to Alex. Let's send WABC in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. First, before you mentioned what Republicans should do when it comes to the border crisis, I think that what they should be focused on in terms of the border is they should keep on talking and investigating exactly the amount of cocaine that came across this border because Democratic voters don't care about the amount of illegal immigrants came across this border. But the, if they would know, if they would be informed of how much cocaine came across, why they cocaine would, and you know, not be mad fentanyl? Why, 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 Fentanyl's, fentanyl's the same thing, but I'm, the okay. illegal crossings is not the biggest issue of the All people. Right. But now Republicans, they have these 20 people, they have no right to now vote against Kevin McCarthy because we elected these people to get stuff done in the House to investigate Hunter Biden and Joe Biden to investigate what happened with COVID. And it's not like they have the numbers. There's no way that Kevin McCarthy is going to end up losing this. It's just a matter of time. And it's a stupid strategy because it's putting a stain on the MAGA Republicans. It's turning people off. What they should be doing is they should vote immediately for Kevin McCarthy and then run around campaigning and saying we need more MAGA, MAGA Congress people in the House for 2024. Wow, I just got a report about what's going on with the vote today. I'll give you that detail when we come back. But that is a very good point, Alex. What do Democrats care about the drugs more than the people? A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Let's welcome tonight's guest. He's on our first show of the year, so we can get it out of the way. Host of One Nation and co-host of Fox and Friends, Brian, please kill me. He's open for more A-listers than Stormy Daniels. Actor, writer, and comedian, Jamie Lissau. I thought that was funny. Right, and that was the introductions to last night's Gutfeld, and this is our first reunion show after that, right? <laughs> this this is, is. This is the first time since that show we've gotten together. You know, a lot of people wait too long for the reunion show. <laughs> I read on we get right on it. It was just been hours. Yeah. Was... So uh, we, we might have some breaking news, Jamie, and you're the perfect person to have here. Okay. Um, hmm. 
Uh, we're, we have, as you know, we're voting for the. It's really going well for the Republicans voting for Speaker. It's basically been a layup for Kevin McCarthy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You, you're not even following, it, are you? I'm going to be honest with you. Right. When I go, when I'm in New York City for like a couple of weeks, yeah, I'm on the pulse of the nation. Like I'm in, of the country, of the country. And I was in Alaska with my kids, and, and? I'm so out of the loop. Like for the last like, do 10 you even days. watch the news? You'd watch the news there, right? I for nine days, my ex-wife was. She's in Hawaii. That's what she's using the money I give her for. Huh. And uh, I've been, I, ha- I don't think I turned on the news for nine days. So I come back and I got to like really, as I was walking over here, I was like, oh man, I hope I'm not exposed for how little I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> kill me so smart. Right. Well, I'm, I'm tracking it uh, because the world is. Mm-hmm. Um, but keep in mind too, Alaska was Seward's folly, correct? Mm-hmm. Never the the, right. the the thought was back in Alaska that we never should mm-hmm. have bought it. Why did you buy Alaska, the former Secretary of State and Governor of New York? That's right. Yeah, they were going to call it Seward's f up, but they decided to uh, right. call it Seward's folly. When do you think it turned and they real because you were from Alaska? Yeah. When do you think it turned and they realized this was a great move? I lived Probably there, the 40s. and I still agree that it was Seward's folly. <laughs> it is not true. Yeah, after living there, no, but you mean it's worth. I mean the resources and the. I'm, it, it's a good. It's a great question because you know our permanent fund. How Alaskans get paid to live in Alaska? Right, because you, you have oil. We're profit sharing with the oil, company, and that's been going on for. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been going on for like. 30, 40 Do you get years. a lot of money? It used to be like two. Th- it used to be. It used to be significant. Two thousand dollars a kid. Right, dude. Nick Cannon would get forty thousand dollars. <laughs> he would never have to work again if his, if his kids lived in what, Alaska. What is he doing now, by the way? Nick Cannon. Right. Besides right various now, women. Um, um, well, he's but, not buying condoms. I'll tell you that. Tell me, you're definitely not wasting. He can't write that off. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I've never seen anything like it. We've seen celebrities where you have a situation where you have multiple yeah. uh, partners, but not on purpose, right? I mean, this yeah. is making up for anything that happened with the Friends cast that waited too long. <laughs> yeah, and like, I would, I love, I love kid, I love my kids, right? And if I had like unlimited funds. I would you probably would have, have a, I'd have a million. It's only because I go, well, it gets crazy, right? Like you have college to pay for and all these things times how many kids. But Nick Cannon, the only weird thing is how many moms are there? I think a lot. I think there's – can you look that up? It's, I think there's you, one more mom than Siri, kid. How many, can you ask weird. Siri a question like that? How many moms does mm-hmm. – How many moms does How would Nick you phrase Cannon's, that? How many baby how mamas many does Nick Cannon Baby have? mamas, but that's kind of a slang mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. I'm not sure that Siri has learned slang, <laughs> right? Or I Jamie slang. I think it's 20 kids, 21 moms, six, which makes no uh, sense. Which is six kids. Uh, six moms. How many kids? Okay. 12 kids, six, six women. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not, listen, and by the way, he was hospitalized with exhaustion, no joke, <laughs> a few months ago. There was a picture of him because he's one of these guys that takes pictures of everything he does. That happened he's to a, me once after right, my wife he told took me a, a story. Picture. I was uh, hospitalized with exhaustion. She told the story. You never met her, but that's just how long. She just can't get to the point. So I was hospitalized. <laughs> <laughs> but just because she doesn't get through it. So I'm, I'm getting. Is that re- true? That he was hospitalized with totally exhaustion? Totally true. I, I feel like Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan always does that. He keeps on pointing to his, Jamie, who's mm-hmm. his aide. But in this case, it's Allison. Allison, yep. you'll see the picture online because it's. It's not really a joke. It's like he's a, I'm exhausted yeah. because he has a bunch of jobs and a bunch of kids and six different women. Absolutely. And, that, and that's where I'm saying if you give me 10 kids and money's not an issue, I'll take it. But I, I'm, I can't do six 
Why? See, you right. know what I mean? Like yeah. that's where yeah, I think if we get too complicated. Right. Well, put it this way. You should have to automatically debit your account. You can't be writing checks. Oh, my God. Right? It's like, oh, it's the 15th. Or you eat that. You have to sync everybody up on the 1st or the 15th. Yeah. They got to make a decision collectively together. Yeah. And how excited would you be to go to the hospital to just get a break for exhaustion? <laughs> you, guys, you guys don't want to keep me a couple of days longer for observation? Right. I, I just look at me. I'm tired. I just need some rest. Is it, You haven't confirmed this yet? Mm-hmm. So in 2015, so it was a while ago. Are you sure? Well, that's what the news, all the news articles are dated for 2015. Nothing came up more recent. Um, mm. Yeah. Still in there. Do you have Google? It is Google. Right. All right. It's, well, 2015, he was exhausted. Okay. It seems like yesterday. Uh, so, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, a, a couple of things going on. So we have the Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was supposed to be Kevin McCarthy. He moved into the office. Mm-hmm. But when he took a vote, he was he got 20 no votes. 200 yes votes. Mm-hmm. Can't get it unless he's – he can only afford to lose four votes. Wow. So he's in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so you might be saying, well, what's the big deal? We haven't had this – we haven't had more than one round since 1923 and multiple rounds since the Civil War. Wow. So to me, the analogy is – and it's a good one, and I think it's one of the best. It's as if you go into the locker room to vote for captain for your team, mm-hmm. and it gets so heated, people start getting thrown out the door. It goes crazy. You go, wait a second. I just want to go play the Jets. You're the Giants. You just want to play the Jets. But they're fighting in the locker room, and the Giants are just waiting on the field. You had a bunch of Democrats in the minority waiting to get coronated and find out what committees they're on. And the other team will not get out of the locker room because they can't name a captain. Mm. You get it? I get it. I get it. Big deal. So they had three rounds of votes. And after the three rounds, they went right into another vote. But no one lobbied anyone to change. So the votes were virtually the same all three times. And now I'm getting word that they're supposed to have another vote in 90 minutes. Has that ever happened before? Three rounds? Yeah, I think they had 122 rounds, but that was 1856. Oh, wow. And you know what happened four years later? Civil War. Mm. So let's just not hope we have that. Yeah. Right. You, you do okay, because they'd probably never get to Alaska. That's the great thing about Right, Alaska. that and Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah, whenever, um, whenever, we can't, in Alaska, you don't have the dangers of... I remember when they were talking about like North Korea testing weapons, right? And they were like, they were shooting them up straight in the air. And then there was like a physicist from here that said, "How close could it get to us if we like angled it and shot it towards us?" And I remember on the news, well, I remember watching the news, and they came on and said, "Great news, we're st- it could only hit Alaska, so don't worry about it, guys." And I was like, "What? I'm, <laughs> I'm watching this from Alaska, <laughs> right?" And we have a missile defense system, and we have a base there. That's right, right. Uh, and I just think that more people I know are going to Alaska. The other thing is, is I find it odd that you guys come in, you guys came in different years, but it was 49 Alaska, 50 Hawaii mm-hmm, 5 mm-hmm. So it's just so interesting that your ex-wife would choose to go from Alaska relatively new oh. to Hawaii kind of new. Is there a reason for that? Like, hey, I'm in 49, let me go to 50. There's a reason. Well, and it's, but it's not, a, it's not a very entertaining reason, but I will tell you there's direct flights from Fairbanks to almost nowhere. That's where I live, right? You can't get from Fairbanks to anywhere, but there is one to the big island of Hawaii. And so it's a pretty easy place for Alaskans to vacation. Um. Right. I'm wondering if I should share this. I should not share this because I'm just when I'm getting reports from the steam source about okay. what's going on right now. I have to write just just a second. With Jamie, my marriage? Fill, fill for a second. Not my marriage, right? With the No, no. Okay. <laughs> no well, I have not... something then to fill while you're looking this up. I actually found a fun video of Nick Cannon making fun of himself for having so many children and having to go holiday shopping. Would this help the show, Jamie, or hurt the show? I think it would help. And I'm so Lost. self-centered. 
Right. That I thought hey, everything I'm Brian saying, he thinks was about talking him. about my life. I was so worried <laughs> that he was like, should I say this? I <laughs> thought you had <laughs> proof that that's not why Alaskans go to Hawaii. No, I, I don't even okay. Google you, Jamie. I'm so confident that what I see is what, what I see is what you are. I think the Nick Cannon thing would help immensely. It's almost the holidays. And thanks to me, the world now has 8 billion people. But my job's not done. It's time to do some online Christmas shopping. And based off the baby mama to kid ratio, we got a whole hell of a lot of gifts to buy. Let's go. I was wrong. Right. Didn't help the show. Not at all. (laughs) So, Jamie, your instincts are bad. I don't know if I'm going to go with you again. So, uh, um, by the way, uh, it looks like they don't have the votes. Okay. But they may or but they're trying not to bring it to the floor because they doesn't want to fail again, which mm-hmm. is everything where for the new year. Yeah. If you feel you're going to fail, you should try anyway. Okay. For the kids that might be listening. I like that. Right. So if you feel like you don't have confidence before you go to the stage, you yes. can't go. Yeah. Uh, Christmas, Illy, Gotham, not going up today. Right. I don't want to fail. Mm-hmm. That's not mm-hmm. the way you live your life. It's not. I heard someone say once. It might have even been Joe Rogan. They said the feelings you get in your body, the physical. Things you feel when you're nervous, like you feel fear and you don't want to do something, are the same physiological responses you get when you're like, let's do this. I'm amped. And so it's a reframing. Say two UFC fighters are about to fight, and one of right. them is like, oh, shaking, he's nervous. And the other guy's like, let's do this. What they're feeling in their bodies is not that different. It's a reframing of like, I'm amped versus I'm scared and so I don't want to go out there. Yeah. It's your mindset. Mm-hmm. So your body is willing to do combat, but your mind is not confident you're going to be successful. Do you think, don't you think the other guy who says, let's do this, yeah. is going to be successful even though both bodies are ready? Because, it, because that's all in your head. I think so, and I think, if, I think it's a way to think about it, too. Like, if say I'm about to do a TV show and I'm getting nervous, my, my heart's pounding, instead of going, I'm scared, going, I'm ready, let's do this. Right. It is the same heartbeat. Right. Try to get a hold of your emotions. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is what I also heard. So let's say... You don't feel confident. Mm-hmm. So you have to ask yourself, what would I do if I was confident? Well, yeah. number one, I wouldn't be hunched over, right? Mm-hmm. I'd, be sit- I'd be sitting up okay. straight. Sorry. You'd be holding your head straight up, yep. right? Mm-hmm. You'd be, uh, your body language would be good. Your, breath, your, your, yep. uh, your breaths would be deep. I feel can you okay. change your mood? Mm-hmm. Instead of your body reaction to your mood, can you change your mood by changing your body? I Is think a million percent. Deep? You can. I think a million percent. So before you about to go to the stage and you're like, um, we realize I'm, you're kind of like, you're leaning against mm-hmm, you're watching this mm-hmm. guy kill ahead of you. And you're like, how am I going to do? Well, how do I change my state? Well, by standing up, mm-hmm. by taking deep breaths, by dripping your chin, by looking strong, you go out there and then your body's getting different signals. I totally think so. Do you right. think so? I think so. I think, I you, think could, you could there, do it. There's like that act as if. Right. And that putting yourself in the position. I also do a lot of... um. This might be more superstition than science, but I do a lot of – say I go on Gutfeld and I, I leave the show. Like last night we had such a fun right. show. Do I love when you're on. Well, thank you. No, it's fun it's being on. And when I leave and I go, that was so fun, and I felt like I had an answer for everything and my mind was in the right place, I will write down exactly what I did that day and replicate every second of it to model like exactly what wow. led up to – that's excellent. You're going appearance. to school on what's successful. Yeah. Now, quick thing, uh, because I mentioned this, you'd have to go my word on this. I mentioned that, G- Jamie, you were on. You've done the – how many sh- How many of those late-night shows have you done? Maybe like 16. Or, I mean, like, like 16 appearances. The Tonight Show, how many? 
Tonight Show once. I've done like the like a couple late late shows a couple times. Conan Seth, uh... never Conan or Seth. I was mostly a late late show guy. They were they thought I would be better off uh, later in the night when more people were asleep. Right, and which yeah. is interesting because I, someone would take that as a negative. Yeah, someone but, would. But not, yeah, but not, not, not <laughs> no, no. The, I think not it's in nice. our new twenty twenty three mindset where yeah. everything's good. All right, so uh, so having said that. But you go and do Gutfeld, which is some people watch Fox, some people don't. We don't know how many. You, a lot of young people fill comedy clubs, I think, more young than old. And you say that the response from Gutfeld has helped your career more than those so-called network shows. Why yeah. is that? Yeah, and also, the uh, I've also, 16 may, might sound like really impressive. I've been doing comedy, like, professionally, meaning my only job, for like 25 years. So wow. it's not even that many. And some of these were, two, I did this night show in 2001. I did premium blend in 2002. I had a half hour. Like, this is like a long time ago. So I'm not bragging. I'm right. just like, you, you, you know, this, your is, experience. this is pretty good. But yeah, you do all these shows, and I think there's this thing as a comedian where, like, maybe the Tonight Show is like this holy grail. And I remember this one time I was working with a guy, and we were in, like, San Diego at a Mexican restaurant was the gig. And when I meet him, they go, hey, this is, like, the headliner. I was the opener. And I go, wait a second. You were on the, I saw him on the Tonight Show the night before. And I go, I thought, you do the Tonight Show, you don't have to do the Mexican restaurant anymore. And he goes, no, it's not like that anymore. It never ends. I was like, wow. And he was right. Like, you would do all these late shows, and you do, like, a five-minute set, and you just do your comedy. And it's great. And you can use that set to maybe book gigs or whatever. But you go to the comedy club, it's not like hundreds of people are there because they saw your set, right? But the thing with Gutfeld, and I know guys that have done recently – like a like a Fallon, like six times in the last three years, which if that was Carson, that would be an impact. I mean, yeah. I think you would probably be famous depending on Even Leno, year. right? Even Leno, for sure. And But I think there's something with Gutfeld. I also had like a TV show on Netflix where I had a prominent role right. with Rob Schneider. Nobody came to my show. <laughs> Not like maybe once in a while. So but like, Gutfeld oh, like does it for you. Gutfeld fills, it packs the place. And number one, of course... It's got a lot of viewers, big ratings. Do you know when Conan went off the air? So let's say Greg Gutfeld's show right. gets like between two million. I was on the last time I was on three weeks ago, two point five million. Do you know what Conan was getting at the end of his run? Three hundred thousand. Wow. So we're talking, yeah, TBS like that's what nine times, yeah, eight times the viewership. But I have another, I have another sense on that. I want to expand on that and see if you agree with it. Also, I just got permission to report okay. what I'm supposed to report. I'm going to do that after the break because Eric doesn't talk to you, but Eric's running things uh, along it. with Allison. He wanted me to rap a long time ago, but okay. the story was too good and I felt it would have been rude. Back <laughs> I in appreciate that. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, so so Jamie Lissau wants to know all there is about news. I'll tell you my theory, Jamie, one of the finest comedians in the country, who just fresh off our joint appearance on Gutfeld. So we're trying to pick a speaker in America. Uh, gamesmanship are going on. Discussions between Republicans want to adjourn, maybe even tomorrow. They don't feel as though they have the votes right now. We'll see. Then he went up and talked to Ralph Norman, who just told Brett, we need to go vote. Now, Ralph Norman's against Kevin McCarthy. Mm-hmm. I guess he wants him to fail. Um, they are digging on this story. Uh, Chad Pergram, who's, who's your, your favorite reporter on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. 
Big time. Right. Not, not even a second place. There's no, there is no second. So we don't even ask who the second mm-hmm. one is. Because you do the rankings. That's it. There's no second. It's like desserts. There's birthday cake and there's nothing else for me. Right. All right. I, I never thought you'd use that analogy. My theory on why people love you on Godfell, uh-huh. because they get to see you as a person. And and you're just having a conversation. Yeah, you prepare. You know what the topics are. But they get to see you as a person. you got to react to three other people and Greg. Mm-hmm. And yet you have an idea of the stories. So by the time they're done... They know if they like you, they're pulling for you. And also the comedians get to see what they do best. If you weren't funny, you wouldn't be on stage. So you got a chance to use it. What do you think of my theory? I would say one million percent right. Think about when you watch a college basketball game or I like MMA stuff like UFC, and you know a little bit of a backstory about a guy. You know how it changes everything? Absolutely. Or like the Olympics, they show, oh, this person struggled with this. You're watching it, and you care more about how they do versus two people just competing. Right. I feel that way about guy, some guys that do five minutes of stand-up. They go like, oh, it's fun, shopping's weird, and airplanes, you go, okay. But I would say from Gutfeld, right. I almost feel like I'm a character of myself. I'm this Alaskan divorced loser guy. Right. That I think that's this built. Greg is like built this whole. Right. That's but, not, but the well, key for you. No, that means that the segment's about to end. Oh, sorry. We got to work on this. We're going to go to rehearsal. So, and we're going to yeah. get you used to radio. Million percent right. But here's the thing. Good. Thank you. Uh, don't ever uh, leave Alaska and don't ever remarry. Yeah. Always be divorced. I wish they played this music like when I was telling a story and they were trying to get me to finish it. That would have been up. better. Eric, can you play this next time even if we don't <laughs> need it? Thanks, Jamie. <laughs> Thanks, man. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. And uh, this hour, we're going to be finding out about the latest round, fourth round of votes for speaker. We think we got some different reports now that there might not be a vote. We're going to give you the latest. We are tracking this like no other news organization. Uh, joining us uh, shortly, Dan Bilak will be joining us from Ukraine. Uh, bring us the latest on this war. The Ukrainians are taking a pounding, but they're also winning. Martha McCallum providing insight, too. All right, so let's get to, before I bring you the latest, and we will ride this story, the other thing I will say on a side note, uh, Mitch McConnell getting some abuse from Republicans for appearing with President Biden at the unveiling of a bridge from the infrastructure deal that was signed about a year and a half ago. Uh, it was part of Senator Portman, a Republican, cut a deal to have that part of the infrastructure the thing that they signed off on. It's mostly for Democratic projects, not for Republicans, but they were in the majority. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We were notified yesterday that the governor of Colorado is now stating that they are going to be sending migrants to places like New York and Chicago. Uh, This is just unfair. That is Mayor Eric Adams on WABC with uh, Sid Rosenberg. Biden's broken border. The New York City mayor complaining about the Democratic governor of Colorado dumping more illegals in our shelters. We're up to about 30,000. Mr. Mayor, sorry, but unless you get on lawmakers to get rid of our sanctuary city status and allow cops to arrest illegals, your buddy President Biden will not get in the way, will not help you, and your laws will stand in your way. The White House can listen, will listen to you, so make the call. Number two. So I can't speak specifically on his medical condition. I will say is um, now he's sedated. So, um, you know, the family's in good spirits. We're honestly just taking it minute by minute, hour by hour. 
Damar Hamlin holding on. The 24-year-old defensive back is making progress, but still not out of the woods. As he recovers, from, uh, as he recovers the NFL still has not made it clear how the game goes forward. The matchup between the Bengals and the matchup between the Bills. And if the game at Cincinnati will ever be played. Number one. Now, the fact that this race has not been settled by now is being described as embarrassing. And it is embarrassing if you prefer the Soviet-style consensus of the Democratic Party's internal elections, where votes are merely a formality and all the really big decisions are made years in advance by donors. But if you prefer democracy to oligarchy, if you prefer real debates about issues that actually matter, it's pretty refreshing to see it. Yes, it's a little chaotic, but this is what it's supposed to be. How does this end? Three consecutive votes have Republicans unable to elect a speaker to, to the astonishment of many. OK, just about everyone, as Kevin McCarthy is 19 to 20 votes shy of getting the gavel. Let's be clear. This is not helping anyone. I don't even think it's helping Democrats because they want to start. Uh, they want to find out what committees they're on. They got their families and in the gallery trying to say, OK, this is a historic day, whether you're Hakeem Jeffries, first African-American to get uh, a, a leadership position in the House who could be speaker if the Democrats ever got majority, or you're a new congressman or woman, or it's just something that's historic because very few people get a chance to do it. Nothing happens because Republicans can't get out of their own way. Republicans can't get out of their own way. This is a guy, Kevin McCarthy, who was okay in the minority, but when he becomes speaker, is suddenly somebody nobody can stand. Or, excuse me, most people support a few can stand. Listen to Akeem Jeffries, New Yorker. Uh, talk about what's happening on the right. Cut one. We are looking for a willing partner to solve problems for the American people, not save the Republicans from their dysfunction. We need a partner in governance to build upon the incredible progress that we made for the American people over the last few years, by the way, with a similar Majority. Yeah, a lot of people don't think it's progress, but I understand why he feels that way. And we'll see if the Republicans go across the aisle. We'll ride this story. I know Brett Baer is helping us out with it. He's trying to work his sources to see if there'll be a vote at all in 50 minutes. Meantime, one of the things the Republicans uh, will be asked to support or not support, some don't want to. I'm firmly in the case that Ukraine's success is firmly in the West's interest, especially America's interest. Daniel Bilak knows that. He's a member of the Territorial Defense Forces of Ukraine, former chief investment advisor to the prime minister of Ukraine and head of Ukrainian Invest. Ukraine Invest. Daniel, welcome back. Hey, happy New Year, Brian. Thanks for having me back. Uh, same to you. And I want to get to what's going on right now. Let me ask some. I'm so caught up in this. Are people understanding what's going on in, U- in places like Ukraine uh, with our political process? Well, I mean, I don't know uh, on this side. We have our own challenges, uh, you know, with the needs, our infrastructure, and stuff like that. But I don't what people remember. Hey, Daniel, I think you're in a bad area. Uh, if you can get just to a better area because you're breaking up, I mean, you're in the middle of a war zone, totally understandable. So, Daniel, while uh, you answer that, you say you listen to the following there a little, but not to this extent. As we talk about Ukraine, while we straighten out that signal, Matt Bradley, a, foreign, a correspondent with, on NBC, said this about what happened a couple of days ago, and that is the blow-up of what looked to be Russian barracks. They say 63 have lost their lives. It could be as many as 400, and it was from the HIMARS that we gave them. After all, they dig in. They aim for children. Ukrainians aim for soldiers. Cut 38. 
no matter who you believe, this is considered to be the most deadly single attack in the last several months by either side, maybe even since the beginning of the war. And that's why we've seen a fresh round of criticism from everywhere within Russia, all the way up from the top ranks in Moscow, all the way down to those Russian-backed officials in the Donbass region where this hit occurred. Because you mentioned, you know, those errors that it seemed like were committed by the soldiers who were there, by the senior officers who were uh, instructing them to stay in those makeshift barracks. Uh, we heard from the Russians in a rare admission that it was probably the cell phones that the soldiers were using to call home on New Year's Eve that gave away their position. That is just a rookie military error. Which they were doing when the initial invasion happened unprovoked, and now they're still doing. This was supposed to be a dynamic, emerging military superpower. Uh, we're going to try to get Daniel Bielak back. So it is significant because there's two things that have happened. Now, I know many of you don't uh, say to yourself, you know, we have so many problems, we have so many issues. But just keep in mind, Russia is going to be a huge problem and a financial cost to us if we don't stop exactly where we stop. The Ukrainians are fighting for, ferociously. All they want is support militarily. They don't want anything except for intelligence and weapons, unlike Afghanistan, unlike the Iraqis. So this hit is combined with the fact that you, that Iranian drones bought by the Russians all knocked out of the sky after a massive push over the last two days. None of them hit. So they're beginning to get that down. More from Matt Bradley, Cut 39. There has been a, a rise of the Wagner Group, and this is led by a man whose name I think you probably heard before, Yevgeny Prigozhin. And he is one of Putin's closest confidants. And all throughout this past week, he has really been raising in profile because it's the Wagner Group, that private military contractor financed by the Russians, financed by Prigozhin himself, that has done the bulk of the fighting, the most successful fighting on the front lines, not the Russian military. And this incident just goes to show, once again, that the Russian military is still battling with its own incompetence within the ranks. Yeah, and that is like Blackwater, a private, uh, a private firm, being more dominant than our Army, Navy, and Marines. It's insane. So the Wagner Group is named after Vladimir Putin's favorite composer. We all have one. And that's what they're named off. They're, they're a bunch of mercenaries. They'll fight anywhere, anyhow, for a amount of money. And they're basically in more competent than the Russian forces. And they are more lethal against Ukrainian forces. But how long will they last? How into the fight are they? They're not even fighting for their own country. They're fighting for a contract. Finally, before I move on, because I'm not sure we'll be able to get Daniel back, uh, Richard Haas weighed in, president of the Council of Foreign Relations. This is not the time for talks. For me, it's obvious for people like General Keene, he feels as though the Biden administration is going to be pushing Ukraine to start talking peace. But when you have 15 percent of a country that you invaded, you could spin it like a win, even though you've got about 100,000 dead. Yeah, 100,000 dead, even more obviously hurt in this war of choice from the Russians. Cut 42. Basically, Ukraine is winning the battle between the militaries. Russia is fighting a separate war against Ukrainian society. And my sense really is this goes on. If I were a betting man, I would think this is the pattern we see. I don't think either side could sustain a great intensity. And I don't see uh, the diplomats having much to work with. I don't think either side at the moment is, is ready to, to make the sort of compromises that peace uh, normally does. Ukraine basically sees no reason to compromise. They're doing better militarily. They don't see any reason to give up territory. Putin obviously would worry the compromise would make him weak at home. So I hate to say it, but my, my, my prediction is this war simply goes on. 
Yeah, and this will be one of the major issues. Now, you didn't see Matt Gates stand up, and I was waiting for this and those others to say, you know, we should not be funding the Ukrainian war. This has nothing to do with us. The Russians are not our enemy. We shouldn't be into regime change. All those things that I don't agree with, I understand that's a point of view, and I don't think it's Kevin McCarthy's policy. He hasn't done that. So he hasn't been asked to even make that tough decision. You know what they're asking Kevin McCarthy to do? Not even talk about the war. They're asking Kevin McCarthy commit for the Freedom Caucus to a certain amount of preferable committee positions. He's like, I can't do that. And he's number two. He's got, let's agree that if we get dissatisfied with you and there's five people that agree you're doing a bad job, we could have a vote. And if we get five people who think you suck, you're out. He said, I'll agree to that. So having said all that, and of course, one of it could be the Ukrainian war. So, Daniel, we just played two sound bites to talk about the blow up of the barracks, the Russian barracks, and the Russians might have exposed themselves by using their cell phones on New Year's Eve. What could you tell us about that? Well, I mean, it just goes to show how dysfunctional they've become with uh, with everything that's been going on. I mean, they're they're on the back foot, Brian, and they're and they're and they're panicking. And you can see the fear in Russia itself because we're we're using our own drones uh, to hit them 500 kilometers inside Russia at their air bases. We're not targeting civilian infrastructure. We're just going after military targets, and they're freaking out because all their anti-aircraft. Uh, anti-missile systems seem to be in Ukraine or someplace, but not defending uh, uh, Mother Russia. So overall dysfunctionality. But you know what? There's a lot of them, Brian, and and they just keep coming. I I was just talking to a friend of mine who got back from Bakhmut, and he said on uh, the machine gunners are, are actually having serious mental health problems just because they're just killing so many people. They it just they just keep coming and coming and coming. And um, you know we we we've been you know we've been getting great weapons from the United States. The United States super supportive. The HIMARS have been just a game changer for for us, and that's that's what hit the barracks uh, apparently. Um, and uh, and you know we 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 just need more of this stuff, but we need longer range stuff because we've been, you know, we're, we're getting hit by these rockets and, and drones from thousands of miles away. And, and we're limited to a response of like 40 miles or 60 miles. We, we need these attackums that, that, that we've been talking about for a while now and that allow us to get to like 200 miles. And that means that we could really take it to them. We need to go on the counteroffensive. We, we, we've got to push these guys out of our, out of our country we know we can do it. There's, they're going to continue to mobilize, Brian. They're going to uh, bring, on, bring, bring in even more people to throw at us in, in this meat grinder. And, and we just got to be able to deal with it. And the, the equipment is just, is just so important. And, it's, and, it, and we've shown we can use it. You know, when we were hit this week um, on, uh, on Christmas Eve and on uh, – or sorry, on New Year's Eve and on New Year's, these uh, NASAMs that uh, uh, the United States has developed with Norway uh, went uh, 100%, 84 for 84. Uh, they knocked down everything that, uh, that, missile that defense? they targeted. Called NASAMs? Missile defense. Missile defense. Yeah. And it shows how effective they are, and it shows how effective they are in our hands. So do you expect more from the Israelis now that Benjamin Netanyahu is in charge? Well, I, I, I don't know, Brian. I mean, I, I did, uh, but, 
you know, he seems to be a pretty transactional guy. I mean, they just announced that they're going to take their relationship with Russia to the next level and start talking to Lavrov. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just shocked, you know, genocide going on in our country, um, many of them involving, you know, Jewish citizens of, of Ukraine and, you know, Israel, which, you know, you would think would have a, a different view of being a democracy in a country that has gone through its own genocide and Holocaust would, uh, would take a more favorable position to Ukraine and help us defend ourselves, let alone cozy up to the Russians. So, you know, I hear that they need them in Syria and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, what, what has their good relationship with Russia done vis-a-vis Iran? You know, the Iranians are going to get fighter planes from the Russians in exchange for giving them drones. Who do you think the fighter planes are going to be used against? I mean, somebody's got to wake up and smell the coffee on this. I mean, Ukraine is at the, at the, at the epicenter of a geostrategic change. And this affects vital American interests. It affects the Middle East. It affects what goes on in Asia. And, 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 and you know, Americans, I think, understand that, that this is not just a, a, some sort of a regional uh, tiff in, uh, in, in Europe, but that, that this, you know, America's vital interests are at stake and our common victory when we push them out. We are, we are doing NATO's job. NATO was set up to do what we're doing today. And we're doing it. Uh, Americans are providing us uh, and our other allies with equipment and and uh, and training and maintenance. Right. But no soldiers, no American soldiers are dying. And we're doing the job. And we need we need the continued support of of, of the great American people to, to to get this job done. And hopefully the Americans can can convince the Israelis that uh, yeah, you know, cozying up to the Russians not a good idea. Well, the best news is Daniel is that. The Iranians have taken the side of the Russians and provided these drone attacks, and they know that they could be coming right into Tel Aviv or to Jerusalem. So hopefully that'll sober them up. Uh, I'll look forward to asking them because Benjamin Netanyahu who's still on a mini book tour, so maybe we'll get him again. Uh, Daniel, thanks so much. Best of luck. Stay safe. Thank you. Thanks to the United States of America and the great people. Uh, Daniel Bilak, thanks so much. Back in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hi, we're back. Martha McCallum in studio getting set to host her show at 3 o'clock. Uh, she's a host of the story, the same Martha, but you were on before that, Martha, right? When stuff like this happens. Yeah, we'll uh, be on uh, like yesterday, all afternoon. Um, I'll join America's Newsroom and we'll watch this play out. They're scheduled to start something at noon, whether it's going to be conference discussions or whether they're going to go to another vote. We're still waiting to find out. Do you think that there's only a certain amount of rounds that McCarthy has in his chamber? Uh, well, I realize chamber means two things. In uh, yeah. thinking about his revolver, mm-hmm. so he lost three. How many rounds until people say, "Kevin, you got to step aside"? Well, that's the question. Um, and he keeps saying he said as late as last night that uh, it will happen. It will happen. It's just a question of time and when. And he that's that's sort of the stance that he's taken for the past eight to ten days. I would say is we're just going to hang in there. Eventually, people will come around. Um, I thought it was a very interesting moment when Byron Donalds changed his vote from McCarthy to Jordan because that was the first person 
who showed movement. And I think we're going to end up seeing some more movement today. What direction it's going to go in, we can't be sure. But I'm also reminded of Paul Ryan and the effort to get Paul Ryan to be speaker when he did not want to be speaker. And I'm wondering if, you know, Jim Jordan changes his mind um, about his recalcitrance towards the speaker's gavel right now and wanting to be the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. Um, I I think things are going to shift here. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The irony here is the other person that people are voting for in the race, Jim Jordan, also supports Kevin McCarthy. President Trump supports Kevin McCarthy. Conservatives and moderates, which we also have to have many moderates who just won Biden districts, also support him. Uh, And as Aisha just said, we can't get to our agenda, the reason we are elected into a majority on China, on big tech, on border. Heck, tonight we were supposed to vote to rescind funding for the 87,000 IRS agents, but we can't get to that because we have a group that's pushing for someone who doesn't want the job. So Michael Waltz is exasperated. I know Dan Crenshaw is exasperated. I know, obviously, Brian Fitzpatrick's exasperated. These are FBI intelligence guys. Martha McCallum here getting excited to host her show at 3 o'clock today. And they just don't know where to go because it's easy when it's the other party. But every once in a while, do you have to stop yourself and say, wait a second. This is the this is a family fight. Right. And it's not Trump versus anti-Trump. It's not Kinziger against the, uh, the pro-Trumpers. Matt Gates just took a shot at Donald Trump, called his support of Kevin McCarthy sad, mocking him. Uh, This is a very dysfunctional family uh, at the moment. And, you know, sometimes you have to take the win, right? And draw together and have an agenda. This is a real lack of, there's a lack of leadership that is going on here. And when you look at what happened to Nancy Pelosi, it's interesting to compare because she had a very difficult run the second time around and she had opposition. She had Tim Ryan who wanted to be speaker, who talked about, you know, it was time for new leadership, all of that. But all of that happened before they got to this point. And she knew Nancy Pelosi never walked onto the floor unless she knew she had the votes. She She said that again, right? Absolutely. And so what we, this effort that McCarthy and his team have, put forward to kind of let it play out and hopefully embarrass people into changing their vote and supporting him um, because you see the kind of editorials that are playing out in the New York Post and the Wall Street Journal where people are saying grow up, right, to this to this faction. Uh, he thought that that – I think he assumed that that would put pressure on them to change their minds, but we're not seeing that yet. In fact, I, I think the Byron Donalds vote is very interesting because, you know, that's the first time you have someone who went from – pro-McCarthy to pro-Jordan, and that flip happened yesterday. So something's going to give, something's going to budge, and we're going to watch it over the next few hours, but they have to do it behind closed doors, and they've got to come forward with something that they feel actually is going to represent a shift in one way or the other. So I interviewed him this morning at about 6.20. Yeah, he does spend forever on uh, CNN. But he basically said, listen, obviously after two votes, nothing's going to change. So I just said, let's just change it. And But I don't think he's dug in. I think he likes McCarthy, but he doesn't live for McCarthy. I think he sees himself in leadership, no yes. doubt about yeah. it. And uh, he's, he said, listen, this, but if not, I'm, I have no personal uh, stake in this. So this is, this is where I stand. He's going to switch. So at one point, if McCarthy ever steps out and says, I'm going to let someone else, and Steve Scalise comes in, or Jim Jordan, or someone we're not thinking of right now, does he stay? Yeah, that's another big question. I mean, he probably leaves. 
I, I, I don't know. I mean, this is something he's wanted for a very long time. He wanted to be leader in 2015. Uh, then there was a huge shift and a pull towards Paul Ryan, who also went into the job sort of not wanting it, dragging his feet a little bit. So this wasn't what I ever wanted. Uh, became Speaker of the House. So the future for Kevin McCarthy is very up in the air right now. And I think, uh, you know, I wonder if they, you, you wonder, you see this tweet this morning or what um, true, true social uh, statement that was put out by President, for former President Trump saying that everybody needs to get behind. You wonder what would have, whether it would have had an impact if that happened several days ago, if he had gotten in earlier and expressed his feelings on this in a more forceful way. Would it have been tough for would the Would it make a difference? But Martha, if he, if he says vote for McCarthy and there were still 19 objections, yeah. that no, would have been absolutely. problematic. But so what about what he did this morning, right? I mean, it's just now, now it, he's it's a, too little too late, um, but still he's saying that now. So he's saying it now as opposed to earlier when it might have actually had a, a bigger impact. So do you think it's failure already showing he wouldn't be a good speaker, that he couldn't get enough votes wrangled to be a speaker, and he had months to, uh, two months to do it? Does that show that Kevin McCarthy will be Or it's just a reflection of where the party is right now, you know? I mean, we've seen – when after the midterms, I think a lot of us reflected on whether or not you're ever going to see tsunami-style votes and swings in the House because we have such a dug-in, deeply divided – political situation. So it may be, and you know, when you saw that, you know, right now McCarthy has more support in his own house than Nancy Pelosi had when she became speaker, or it's roughly, it's, it's about the same. Yeah. So yes, I mean, it raises a question. She was able to pull off a majority and even though she had, you know, the, the squad and she had a group who didn't want her, she's doing, she did a better job wrangling behind closed doors than he's doing right now. I want you to hear what Kimberly Strassel said last night on special report, cut se- of the Wall Street Journal, cut 17. It's certainly embarrassing for Republicans. Look, these are the Republicans that just ran uh, saying, if you give us the keys to the house, we're going to do a better job. And here we have this first day. You know, and I agree with Trey, you know, it's it's fine. You can understand some conservative discontent, all right, although I would note a lot of this is not even with Kevin McCarthy. It's over bigger issues like that omnibus bill that Senate Republicans just came up with or House Democrats at all but got rid of things like due process and amendments and debates. Um, but they put forward some proposals. He accepted a bunch of them, um, yet they don't seem to be happy unless there is no actual leader they want him to give away so much of his power that you'd essentially have 220 different people running around, any of them able to, to call the shots. So that is an interesting point. People like it to go in, th- in theory, but the people really want to govern. For example, some people say McConnell's a sellout to show up at this bridge with the infrastructure bill. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, he is not in the majority. And he said, if you want some bipartisan buy-in, I'm going to need X, Y, and Z, and Senator Portman let it. So he got a bridge, I believe, off the top of my head, from Kentucky to Ohio. Right. So he said, all right, I'll cut the ribbon with you. And they said, well, why do you get more? All right, well, Trump wanted a bigger one, and that's a fact. And I couldn't get everything because January 5th, you lost – they lost two Georgia Senate seats. Yeah, elections have consequences. And, you know, I think there's a frustration in the country with people not – with people wanting the process to move forward. And I think it has actually served President Biden fairly well. I think it served him well in the midterms because he was able to say, you know, I got this passed and that passed. And, you know, I'm finding a way to get some Republican votes here and there. Whether or not those are actually good programs or good policies is, 
you know, is uh, obviously is the most important thing, but that isn't where people are. They like the fact that they saw some some movement, that they saw some policy happening and the way that they pitched it helped them in the midterms. There's no doubt about it. In the last segment, I want to do football because your son, uh, your family plays football. Your son played at Notre Dame. But I want to get to this. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams comes on WABC all the time with Sid Rosenberg, and he was on this morning, and he says they got word that Colorado is now sending Democratic governor of Colorado is sending illegal immigrants to New York City. This is what he said about that. I want to hear what you think if he has a case. Cut 33. We were notified yesterday that the governor of Colorado is now stating that they are going to be sending migrants to places like New York and Chicago. Uh, This is just unfair uh, for local governments to have to take on this national obligation. We've done our job. Uh, There's no more room at the end. Uh, But we are compelled by local laws here that we must uh, provide shelter I just want to get your take and then I have my take. Well, then change those local laws. Yeah. I mean, we have in this in New York, we have supported sanctuary city laws for a very long time. And this is the ramification of it. Ja, you know, Jared Paulus is in a purpley state in Colorado. Uh, he knows what his people will accept and not accept. And he's pushing them to New York. And I will say I've been encouraged by a number of the things that Eric Adams has has wanted to do. Removing tent cities from the streets, um, involuntarily removing people who are mentally ill and putting them in institutions. These are steps in the right direction to safety in this in this city. But, you know, you got to reap what you sow. And uh, this this has been long and baked into the cake in New York to accept people. And now he's in the situation where he doesn't have laws to fall back on to say no. So he was uh, strong enough to go up and say, get rid of the no cash bail laws is killing us, even though it was a Democratic legislature right. delivered it. And they pushed back at him. They basically mocked him. And then the election happened, and they almost lost their supermajority, but they still maintain it, so they can't go anywhere with it, sadly. Even the governor knows that it's killing them and it's killing us because we're in the eye of the storm in New York City. So why not have another petition? I understand the approach with sanctuary cities, but it's not working. Now with 4 million people coming here illegally, we've got 30,000. He says we have 30,000 here illegally. So it's not fair to the kids in school. It's It's not not. fair to the social programs. It's not fair to the hospitals. It's not fair to the shelters. It's not fair to the hotels. Certainly not fair to the taxpayers who are paying six out of every $10 they make to some type of tax, whether it's city or state. So why not? If you really want to have national ambitions, you say that. And, you know, I I mean, the the number of New Yorkers who moved to Florida is roughly the number of voters that Lee Zeldin lost by in New York. Okay, so people voted with their feet. They're leaving. New York is a once great city, which needs a serious turnaround in leadership. And I I do commend a number of the things that he has pushed. It's a very tough position he's in. But I I think you're right. He should do a new petition and they need to keep pushing. But people listening to us in uh, Chicago. People listening to us in any major city, you know, Seattle, yeah. they go, no, no, we got st- we have the same problem here. Oh, of so course. it's not yet. This is not just a New York problem, but I would just love to see someone tackle it and to push back on my statement that America's fed up is what happened in Arizona. You would think if anybody was going to produce a Republican governor to replace a Republican governor, it would have been Carrie Lake in Arizona because that wall's not built. Kelly's done nothing. Cinema's made statements. But instead, they put a Democrat in who wants to take out these uh, these shipping containers, yeah. which are it was a makeshift a very wall. weak candidate. No, I know. That that amazes me that the federal government says to Arizona, you got to remove those shipping containers for, you know, some environmental reason when 
this is a state saying we, we have to do whatever we can, just like in Texas where they line up patrols, at, as, you know, National Guard patrols, vehicles, everything they can to Huge build a cost. wall. We need to build a wall. I mean, I think that I, I think you can get a consensus in this country uh, behind that. I think maybe, you know, it was so associated with former President Trump. But I think that, you know, I think there's a consensus around it. You have to have a, a real border. You need a real border. There's no doubt about it. And if you have any doubt that that's true, why would you roll out razor wire? You're rolling out razor right. wire on top of makeshift shipping containers now in Texas. That's called a barrier. You can nickname it whatever you right. want. You say, well, that's something for the Vikings. No, it works everywhere. It works in your house. It works in the gated communities. We just got to set up a barrier that allow people to funnel a certain direction. And if you don't believe Martha McCallum, you don't believe Brian Kilmeade, that's fine. Go to a Border Patrol person. Absolutely. And then you ask any of it's them. It's also they safer for you. the people who are crossing because it gives them, a, you know, a place to go through that is a legal transit area. And they're not risking their lives in the Rio Grande or starving in the middle of, you know, dry patches in the desert in Texas. It's, 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 a, it's a much more compassionate solution. And I know it's complex, but the one other thing that President Trump that came out in one of these books about President Trump that he does not deny except for the type of strike – he was going to physically go after uh, the cartels in Mexico, and he had basically a wink and a nod from the president of Mexico. Now, he wasn't going to be rockets. It was going to be some other operation. But how many people now who have somebody in their lives affected by fentanyl wouldn't say, if you could have stopped it, I would have supported it? He just wants to stop it. He knows who has it. But yet we have a guy that won't even acknowledge it. The cartels are in charge of our southern border. It's crazy. It is. Can you? I mean, they must just find it laugh out loud funny when they listen to these debates because they know that they're making more money in human trafficking than drug trafficking these days. And this is the heyday for Mexican cartels. The fact that we allow them to be in charge of our border and call the shots on our border and kill 100,000 Americans with fentanyl is absolutely atrocious. All right, Martha's going to stick around. We're going to talk a little football when we get back and what that, that horrible scene that happened on Monday night, where we go from here. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Construction of a 630-mile border fence that create a significant barrier to illegal immigration on our southern land border. Illegal immigration is wrong, plain and simple. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we're back. Martha McCallum, uh, football is a major part of your family. How many Notre games Dame games did you go to? Oh, many, many, many. My when, son was on the team uh, for three years at Notre Dame. So, uh, when you saw uh, when you saw the injury on Monday night, what were your thoughts? It broke my heart. I mean, I you know I think any parent who has watched their kids growing up playing football, when someone gets hit, you watch for that light between them and uh, and the sky and the grass, and you want them to get up off that off that field. It's a terrifying feeling. And, um, it was a terrible, a terrible hit. And the more we hear about it, you know, the more it was, it sounds like a very kind of freak accident in many ways in that, um, 
it's it you just have to hit the heart exactly right to produce this kind of cardiac arrest and it it's just an absolute tragedy he's this really sweet young man i watched a bunch of interviews that he did um he's a real family guy and has you know thought a lot about his future and how he's going to live his life and um we're just pulling and praying for him every day. So here's with Jordan Rooney, who's the marketing guy who's turned into the family spokesman for Damar Hamlin, cut 18. So I can't speak specifically on his medical condition. I will say is that, you know, he's fighting. He's a fighter. Um, you know, I, I felt like in the moment it, there needed to be some clarity that, you know, he, he was at a he was awake at that time and um, now he's sedated. So, um, you know, the family's in good spirits. We're honestly just taking it minute by minute, hour by hour. So, and they're saying that, you know, he is in an induced coma and has had this heart surgeon on from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And he said, believe it or not, you, for me, believe it or not, you ice him. You got to ice him. And I said, well, I knew that was with paralysis, but I didn't know it was this. He goes, no, you got to ice him because it's going to immediately, as soon as you get the AED on, defibrillator on, not uh, CPR, mm-hmm. you got to ice him in order to limit or eliminate neurological damage. So that's very interesting because we see that, as you say, with spinal injuries, you want to get the inflammation down quickly. You want to keep the body surrounded in ice and they've had actually a lot of success with that. Um, but I have never heard it in relation to a, a heart situation. Um, and I hope, I hope it's effective. Yeah. It's interesting. Here's Carson Palmer uh, today. Uh, what he said to me about safety and what he said in the past to Peter King. He said, I think someone's going to die in the field one day, mm-hmm. but not like this. Cut 27. The focus of the NFL and player safety has really been on the head and, and head trauma and concussions. And really that's where a majority of the scary injuries that play out later on in your life that we've seen as players and now former players are, are struggling with. But to see something like this, I mean, a chest injury is not something that we anticipated but what we can anticipate is the NFL making a big move on player safety and really focusing not so much on the head more uh, anymore, maybe really starting to focus on heart injuries like this. So, You know what's really interesting? We have seen cases. There was a Cornell lacrosse player who died from this kind of phenomenon. And in Northport. Comito uh, Cordis. Northport. Yes, uh, and you player. see it in baseball and you see it in lacrosse where you have a smaller ball that when it hits you in the chest can cause this kind of reaction in the heart. And it hasn't been the focus so much in football, as he says, has really been much more focused on, on brain injury and concussion. Um, but this, we have seen people die of this in baseball and in lacrosse, and uh, this is not something we've never seen before. Right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be on with you at three o'clock. Look forward Martha. to it, Brian. In our right. A block. Thanks right. for and, coming. And maybe we'll have a speaker by then. Maybe we'll have a speaker by then. <laughs> and maybe not. <laughs> Brian Kilmeade, keep it here. Thank you, Brian. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.